Rules have their place. Imagine a society without them. But in the world of faith, we are given the opportunity to transcend the law. It's a freeing concept, as long as we approach it properly. Back to our discussion of reconciliation now. Here's George. Again, God's concern is always about love, always about loving relationships, always about building up and not harming. Here's what it says in Galatians 5. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive everything promised to us who are right with God through faith. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, it makes no difference to God whether we are circumcised or not circumcised, that is, whether we have followed or not followed the ritual rules. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You are getting along so well. Who has interfered with you to hold you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God. For he is the one who called you to freedom. Now, I don't know about you, but this passage from Galatians 5 is very scary to me. It is much easier for me to try to follow, apply, and impose rules all the time. The rules were there for a reason. They helped us understand right from wrong. But the true love that allows us to live as God desires us to live, requires transcendence. And it calls us to freedom. That transcendence is given to us in the simple command, love God, and in the simple application, love your neighbor as yourself. When we do this, we have fulfilled the law. We have transcended the law. And we have been set free by transcendent love. Consider also how this makes sense of Jesus' teaching to Nicodemus on salvation. We have to be reborn from above by water and the Spirit And the promise that with our salvation, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us means that we become temples of God's presence, the transcendent, the God who made the box, now lives in us. So, let's now circle back. Circle back to approval and rejection. Earlier, we looked at obedience and saw how we can use this in an attempt to control God. We do this as we follow rules, ritual, behavioral controls, or whatever, in order to curry favor or avoid punishment, to gain approval, and to avoid rejection. Clearly, by now, we should see that this is not the same as loving God or loving our neighbors. Not only is loving neighbor and God not an attempt to control God, but its source 
is a transcendent one that is outside of the system, the kingdom of the earth in which we live. Transcendent love is of another order altogether beyond even the most laudable of human moral and ethical systems. When we act within the system of rules set for us, we behave. We seek approval as we conform. Even if we agree with the morals and ethics of the system, even if we see the value in them in showing right and wrong, as the law in Scripture is said to do, it is still approval we seek by obeying them. And within these systems, approval is given when we conform. But approval is a very weak surrogate for love. And it is love we are created to seek. Love is transcendent. It comes from the source of our creation. And it approaches people and circumstances with a heavenly view not just a worldly one. Where the Pharisee saw a prostitute, Jesus saw a woman needing the love of God. Where those who would stone an adulteress saw the law violated, Jesus gave freedom from condemnation. Where others saw a despised tax collector, or a Samaritan, or a blind man, or a demon-possessed man, or sick, or dead, Jesus saw his beloved children, and his love brushed aside the judgments of men, invaded the kingdom of earth and its laws, even the laws of time and space, and revealed the transcendent love of the kingdom of God. It is to this that we are called. Do you remember what Paul taught us about the law? that it was our overseer, our guide, our teacher, until we grew up. The law was not wrong, not bad, not an error. It was simply insufficient for the whole task of loving God and neighbor, of transcending the external rules and having God living and reigning in our hearts. And Jesus promised this, God, the Holy Spirit, living in us and leading us into all truth. He didn't promise elegant, well-thought-through concepts and our skillful application of them to each life circumstance. But instead, he promised us the discernment of God in us, living through us. This is the fulfillment of the promise in Jeremiah 31. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Just as Jesus desired to free his followers of rule-following, whether those of the Pharisees or Sadducees, whether written law or oral tradition or the Talmud, he also desires to free us. As we have fabricated extensive doctrines, liturgies, polities, and ways of reading and explaining Scripture to give us rules by which to judge right and wrong 
And just as we have created edifices of these concepts upon concepts and have argued them and scorned and harmed each other in the struggle to be right, Jesus once again wants us to transcend our own rules. Are some of our concepts more right than others? Are some just plain wrong? Certainly. Who was right about the resurrection of the dead? The Pharisees believed in it, or the Sadducees didn't believe in it. Jesus sided with the Pharisees. They were right. But Jesus didn't applaud them for this. Instead, he criticized them for their loveless enforcement of rules. As long as our focus is on fighting over concepts, our modern version of the law, whatever side we are on, we are simply replaying the loveless battles of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and we are not doing what Jesus told us to do. We can say, Lord, Lord, all we want, but he says he will know us by our love, not our concepts, no matter how perfectly formed and right or not they are. We have taken a Greek philosophical methodology, used it to create highly complex and detailed concepts, philosophies, if you will, sworn allegiances to one or another, worshipped them, and fought with each other over who was right. One had to win and the other lose again and again in countless ways in specific exhortations and in parables, in healings and declarations of forgiveness and love even for the most despised, Jesus teaches and demonstrates to us that people matter. Yet we have so elevated doctrine and our divisions and disagreements and who's in and who's out as a result that love of neighbor is simply set aside when our concepts are at risk. Things outweigh people. How do we escape this error? Even when we see it clearly, even when we realize that concept is crippling our love, that worship of our own ideas has replaced love of God and neighbor How do we move beyond this? How do we move beyond winning? We will return to this and we will learn how next time when we come together. People matter. This simple phrase has proven to be a powerful reminder in and around the church pastored by George. And the church firmly embraces the motto, people matter, things don't. And the church has seen numerous occasions of this reminder fueling Christ-like interactions within the church body as well as outside of it. George has received notes from people not associated with the church who, upon viewing one of the church's bumper stickers, which say, people matter, things don't, found themselves taking a more patient approach to their day. (laughs) And they're driving. Why not take that phrase for a test drive yourself this week? People matter, things don't. Feel free to use the website whatwebelieveandwhy.com to contact George if you find yourself benefiting from the idea. And join us next week for another edition of What We Believe and Why. We believe and why.